Please uh, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, for those that are new here, I, I do preach verse by verse. Uh, and today uh, we are going to be preaching out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses just 1 through 4. And it's an exhortation to the elders of the church. And so, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you would stand with me as we read this scripture. 1 Peter, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, even in its basic instructions where it, just where it just covers the leadership of the church. It's an inspired word, Lord, that we need to hear, that we need to understand for the building up of our faith. And so, Father, I ask your blessing to be upon your word. I ask your blessing to be upon this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we can see here in your Bibles, Peter is coming close to the end of his first letter to the dispersed churches that are facing persecution, facing suffering. As you know, this is about the same time that Nero really starts to go after the church. He's blamed them for the Roman fires, and now he's using them, Christians. He impales them and actually uses them to light his garden. And so persecution is coming to the church. It's either has landed or it's coming. And so Peter is now talking about the sub-theme within his first letter um, of how to endure this suffering. And over the last month, as it relates to suffering, Peter has admonished the church on how to respond to it when you face it. And that you're supposed to do good in the midst of suffering and not return evil for evil. He encourages us while we're in the midst of suffering how to endure it as a person who is to live their lives holy and how to stay the course in the midst of suffering because at times suffering comes, it kind of deters us. And last week, who are we to trust in during the times of suffering? Where do you put your trust? in the moments when suffering comes upon you. Now this week, contained just within those four verse, first four verses of chapter 5 as I read, he lays out how leadership is to lead, not only day to day within the church, but in times of suffering, persecution, because Peter knew and he understood the immense value of strong leadership while in the midst of suffering from his time with Christ, as Christ was the example. 
In fact, when the church faces dire situations of persecution and suffering, it's not only their faith that will strengthen them. It's not only the power of the Holy Spirit that will guide them, but it's also the appointed leadership that God puts in the church that will lead them through it. And we're fast approaching times, I believe. And our brothers and sisters in churches overseas who are now facing persecution, strong leadership in the midst of it gives such encouragement and such strength. You know, make no mistake about it. Strong leadership is essential in the church during times of suffering and persecution. And this is why Peter includes it within his letter to the dispersed churches. He's encouraging the elders. He's reminding the elders. He's calling out the elders. Remember who you are. Remember why you've been called. And what is your purpose in the church? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You know, all throughout God's Word, God has placed leaders among His people to lead them through times of trouble. Not only for the day-to-day functions of the church or the temple, but also to lead them through times of trouble. Moses comes to mind. Abraham comes to mind. Nehemiah comes to mind. The prophets come to mind. Paul comes to mind. And, of course, Peter comes to mind. God has always placed leadership. It's a principle. There's no church without leaders. That's not the model that God has ordained. And all throughout the New Testament, we see this pattern of establishing, preparing, training, equipping leaders to lead the flock. Now, it's important for us to understand this for two reasons. The first one's obvious. Leaders in the church, elders in the church, must be qualified, must understand their role, must embrace it, must exemplify character of Christ in it. And at times, we need to be reminded of our responsibilities as elders. The second is for you, the body of Christ, to know what the qualifications are, to know what the responsibilities are, to know what your leaders should be doing in the body of Christ and the example that they are to set. And Peter lays this all out just in four verses that we're going to share this morning. So let's start with verse 1. And Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter begins a segment of this letter by exhorting the elders. Now what are elders? Who are these people? Well, the word used here by Peter within the context of this verse comes from the Greek word presbuteros. Presbuteros, and it is defined as those who preside over the assembly. Those have been called and appointed to preside over the assembly. Another term that's very close to this, and you might have heard it before, is episkopos. Episkopos. And really, the only differential between the two, the difference between the two, excuse me, is presbutos or presbutos. Presbuteros, I practiced this in the mirror and I messed it up. Anyway, no, I didn't. Denotes the status of eldership, while episkopos denotes the specific function of those elders. So one describes it as a whole, one is more specific. And if you think, if you look at these terms, you actually see two denominations that derive from them. 
Presbyterian from Presbuteros, and uh, Episcopalian from Episcopos. And so we see that. And so these are the two words that are used to describe the elders of the church that Peter is alluding to. Now, early on within the local church, elders were put in place following the model of the Old Testament. The old guys, right? The guys have been around for a while, right? The first reference of the early church was found in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, when Barnabas and Paul, if you remember, they were to take the gifts, the relief funds, due to the fact that there was a famine, and they were responsible for taking it up to the elders of the church. So that's the first reference that we see in the early church as it relates to leadership. In fact, it was a critical work of the early church as they worked tirelessly to establish elders in every church. We see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, in which they said they have accomplished their goal of establishing leaders in every church. It was imperative, it was important for the early church to have experienced men who were called to lead those churches. Now within these elders being appointed is one who holds the position of pastor, right? In 1 Timothy 5.17 it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is a reference to the full-time pastor from the elders. Now, within the Christian and Missionary Alliance, if you're familiar with the denomination, for those that are visiting here today, pastors are elders. Pastors are elders, but not all elders are pastors, because pastor is a specific position within the church. Additionally, the mode of leadership within the CMA is a collective leadership. In other words, the elders collectively lead the church spiritually. It's not the Moses model where there's a pastor and then there's elders and then there's deacons. It's the elders who are the specific leadership of the church as it relates to spiritual leadership. And in that is one who is dedicated to pastoring the church specifically in that episkopos role, if you will. And so when you look at that, um, we also have a governance authority, where we have a governing board that makes the decisions from a business perspective. Okay, So we have different elements within the church for its leadership, and we do it collectively as it relates to elders. Now, the establishment of elders within the church was not one of simple age always and experience, but it requires a combination of a few things. It requires, yes, that they meet mature in Christ. Yes, they need to be experienced. They need to be knowledgeable, obviously. We'll get into that more. But more importantly, it's character. Character of the leader is by far the first thing that we look at. You can know the Bible inside and out, but if you don't have the character to lead, you can be a servant all you want, but if you don't have the character to lead, you can have all the experience in the world, but if you don't have the character to lead, that's the primary thing that we look at. In fact, Paul outlines the specific requirements for elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
And I think it's important to go over these very quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because in and of itself, that is a tremendous study. So when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the first one is they are to be above reproach. Well, what does that mean? It means to have a good reputation in the church. You can't have an elder lead a church if he's not well respected. You got a problem because they won't follow the lead. Next one is they need to be a husband of one wife. I think that's pretty obvious, right? But what it really means, right? I'm sorry, you got three wives, can't be an elder. But what, we're, what it specifically means is moral purity within his marriage, right? They need to be sober-minded and temperate. This means to have a clear focus on life, rightly prioritizing his life. He's stable. He's steadfast. He thinks clearly, reflecting faith, hope, and love in his life. They also need to be self-controlled. It means to be prudent, right? It means to be a sound mind, which means to be calm and rational, not given over to his desires, not living to excess, not being distracted, by the world. He's also to be respectable. Now this word is, means a little bit different than what we would understand it to mean in the English, and it comes from a word called cosmeos. Cosmeos. Sound familiar? It's where we get the word cosmetics. And basically what it means is they need to live a life that attracts people to the gospel. Their life needs to reflect the gospel, and it needs to attract people to the gospel. Okay? Next one is hospitable. How do they use their home, their money, their resources? Do they have open doors to other people, or are they closed off and selfish? Hospitable is a characteristic we look for. They also have, a, have to have the ability to teach. Now, teaching is able to convey and communicate the doctrine of God's Word effectively, succinctly, palatably. Now, we'll talk a little bit more on teaching here in a minute. They're not to be a drunkard. I think that's self-explanatory, not given to much wine. They're not to be violent, but gentle. You know, Darla and I were part of a, a bowling league. Um, we don't bowl anymore. It was fun. It was the only sport I ever started in September. You can start that sport in shorts in September and end it wearing shorts. That's how long that season is. But nonetheless, we were part of a bowling league, and one day we were bowling next to another set of teams. So you're in this own league, right? And I knew this man to be, a, I think, a Baptist pastor. I'm not sure. I really never got a chance to talk to him. But he was up, and he was bowling, and... And, and he threw his ball, and the ball, he was trying to pick up a spare, and he pit, hit two out of the three pins. And for whatever reason, the third pin just fell over. Wind, whatever. Well, in league bowling, that don't count. If it ain't hit by a pin, it ain't hit by a ball, you don't count it. Well, he went in to correct his score to show that he got a spare. The team took exception to that. Said, hey, 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 you can't do that. He got angry. He got upset. And he actually said, we didn't hear it, but... This is what they told us. He said, if you want to step outside and discuss it further, we can. That is not how that is supposed to be. You're not to be violent. What does the Word of God say? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For the anger of man does not produce what? The righteousness of God. 
He's disqualified right there for that to just come up. And I know we're, hey, guys, hey, I know sometimes when we get pressured and we get put in a corner, we'll come out. But that shouldn't be the initial reaction. And even when we're pushed into a corner, how are we supposed to respond? With good behavior, not evil. We're also not to be quarrelsome. This is a person that always has to argue about everything, and it comes from a I'm right spirit. It's hard. Have you ever dealt with somebody like that? It's hard to communicate. It's hard to have an effective relationship when it's always about arguing. They're not to be lovers of money. In other words, you're not to be ruled by materialism. That's not to be their focus. You know how you can tell what's their focus of someone's life? What do they always talk about? Pretty good indication of where their focus is in life. Number 13, if you're counting. There it is. Manage his household well. I wish we could spend more time on this because there's something you really got to dive into on this. But here is essentially what Peter is saying or what Paul is saying. How you lead a home is how you're going to lead a church. If the home life's not right, probably shouldn't be in leadership in the church. They shouldn't be a recent convert. I think that makes sense, right? Right? Because they'll get puffed up. Oh, look at me. I'm an elder in the church. They may not have the maturity to deal with it. And they need to be well thought of by outsiders. That means if you're going to have a good, a favorable opinion in the church, well, you better have one outside of the church. Now, there are 15 qualifications. That's a lot. That's a lengthy list. And to be honest with you, yes, they are for elders, but shouldn't we all kind of take a look at that list and go, where do I measure? But as far as elders, what this really shows, and this is why I wanted to share all of these with you, is this, that you need to be, the church needs to be very diligent about who they put in leadership. If Paul outlines 15-plus requirements out of 1 Timothy and Titus, I didn't cover Titus, but he also goes in there as well, then the church needs to be real careful about who they put in their leadership positions. They shouldn't do it in haste. should never get in a hurry. Never just to fill a void. They need to be examined. They need to be interviewed. They need to be watched. They need to be monitored in all situations to ensure that they're going to lead because it's that important in the body of Christ. Well, those are the qualifications. Well, what are the responsibilities? I'm going to go over these very quick too. The first one is the most important one. Elders need to be about prayer and studying the Word of God. That's their primary work. Prayer and studying the Word of God. Acts 2, Acts 6, verse 2. Remember when they were in the early church and the distribution of food was becoming a burden and they said, look, this is what it said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. That doesn't mean they were elevating themselves over people. I don't serve tables because I'm an elder. Get somebody else. That's not what it was. They were being taken away from what was their primary responsibility in preaching and teaching the Word of God. So later in verse 4 of chapter 6, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That was their call. That was their responsibility. That was their primary focus point. 
Therefore, they had nominated deacons such as Stephen to take care of the distribution of the food and the caring of the church. Now, this is significant for the elders to understand, myself included. That's where our focus is to be, is in the ministry as our primary responsibility and not in the service of the church, service ministry. This is why deacons were established, to serve to the needs of the church. This is why deaconesses are established, to help serve in the needs of the church. They take care of the facilities. They're the trustees. They're empowered to do that. And understand, deacon is not a stepping stone to elder. Deacons are a specific ministry with specific gifts. And we have two outstanding deacons in Ken and John who serve this church in ways you don't even see. But they're always here. They're always working. They're always doing. You know, in one of the elder meetings that we had just recently, we talked about this and that the elders are not supposed to be the business managers of the church. That's not our job. That's the governing board's job, is to make business decisions. The elders are never supposed to sit into a meeting and decide what color carpet we're putting in the church, or what chairs go where, or what art we put on the wall. That's for other committees to do. It doesn't mean that we're above those committees. It means that our focus point is to be on the spiritual ministry of the church. And it's easy to take a worldly leadership model and apply it to elders, and the next thing you know... We're so busy in the service of the church and organizing the church and leading the church from a business perspective, we're negating our responsibility of prayer and studying the Word of God, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Is that important? Why is that important? I'll tell you in just a second. The next one is preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's why it's one of the requirements for an elder is to be a teacher. It would be great if all of them were preachers, but that's, that's a specific gifting. In Ephesians 4.11, it says this, And he gave the, some of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to what? What's the purpose of preaching and teaching? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the job of preaching and teaching for the elders. And it's two most important ministries within the church. And it's the ones that you're most held accountable for by our Lord. Now, there are obviously others in the church that are not elders who teach because they're gifted to teach, but that ministry is always under the authority, always under the administration of the elders, and for good reason, to ensure that right people are teaching right doctrine in the church. It's the integrity of the ministry that they're responsible for. And it's an accountable ministry, a very important ministry, and one we take very seriously here in the church. Additionally, we're supposed to protect the flock. As under shepherds is what we are, they are always to be vigilant in protecting the flock from the wolves that come against the church, especially wolves in sheep's clothing, those that come in to be dividers, Accusers, distractors, disruptors, or worse, teachers of false doctrine. I know you've heard me say this before, and I borrow this from Bill Smith, pastor of Calvary Chapel, but he says there's two types of people that come into the church. Those that support the vision of the church 
and those that come to implement their own vision in the church. And I've seen it happen in this church. And it almost resulted in a split. As elders, we are to be the discerning body against such threats. And these people may come in charismatic. They may come in as as likable and lovable and popular. But there's something that I always say, and I don't, well, I'm going to say it. There's something, sometimes you don't know how the sausage is made. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You don't know what conversations are being had. And I'll tell you, when wolves in sheep's clothing come into the church, the first segment that they go after almost every time is the leadership. They come in to divide leadership. Once leadership is divided, the doors are open. That's why elders need to be unified. They need to be praying together. They need to they continuously meet together. They need to be discerning, be like-minded, one of one accord to ensure that that doesn't happen. Finally, they're to provide discipline when it's necessary. This is the toughest responsibility of the church. Remember, early in the church, they can apply discipline because where else are you going to go if you don't like what they're telling you? In today's model of evangel uh, of the ecclesiastic body, we, there's all kinds of denominations where, well, you're not going to talk to me like that. I'm going to just go find another church. Six months later, they have the same conversation with that leadership. Six months later, they have the same conversation with that leadership. Discipline is not about finger-pointing and putting it in your chest. It's about loving correction. And if restoration is not at the point of discipline, you're doing it wrong. It's to bring people to a correct knowledge of and maybe even to reconcile a relationship. It's the one thing that requires the most prayer and the most carefulness and the most love. But it's necessary. And it's difficult when you have to do it. It's the least enjoyable thing in ministry. And the elders will not enter into that quickly. It'll take a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment. And so these are some of the primary responsibilities of elders. So we talked about qualifications. We talked about responsibilities. Now we're going to get into the meat of what uh, Peter is saying as to how we carry out those qualifications and those requirements. And we see that in verses 2 through 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those you were charged, but being examples to the flock. Now, he uses the word shepherd. And as I stated earlier, within the body of elders, within the collective leadership of the elders, there is a, a person dedicated to be the pastor. Someone called to be the preacher, primary teacher and preacher of the Word of God, as we see in Ephesians 4, by virtue of a calling and a gifting. That does not mean that the other elders don't shepherd the flock. They do. But shepherding the flock has an overarching responsibility, but it also has a specific responsibility as well. And within the CMA, 
men are called and affirmed to the ministry of the church. And when they are installed as the pastor, they're the lead elder, and they're also what we call an executive officer of the church by virtue of bylaw and requirements and so on and so forth, but more so by biblical principle. So although elders, the collective elders of the church, watch for the spiritual condition and lead the spiritual nature of the church, as, and that is their primary responsibility in shepherding the flock. Now the word shepherd comes from the Greek word which means to feed, means to tend, it means to keep sheep. The church has always referenced the body of Christ as a flock or sheep or lambs because who is the great shepherd? Who is the primary shepherd? Whose church is this? It's Christ's, the shepherd. A great example of this is found in John. Remember when in John he, he, uh, he writes about how Peter was restored on the shore after Christ's resurrection? And in that exchange between Peter and Jesus, Jesus asked him three questions. And the first one is, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said, Peter, do you love me? He goes, you know I love you, Lord. He said, tend my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? About this time, Peter's starting to show his aggravation. He's like, oh, yes, Lord, I do love you. He said, feed my sheep. Now take a look at those three. Feed my lambs. What's a lamb? It's a newborn, it's a new Christian, one that needs mentoring, one that needs careful instruction, one that needs careful leadership. Then there's tending my sheep, taking care of the flock, making sure that it's healthy, making sure that it's where it needs to be, when it needs to be, to get the most of the nutrition that they look for in fields and pastures. Then there's feed my sheep preaching and teaching the Word of God. Feed my sheep. And so this was the charge, the early charge to Peter, and it's the charge to the oversight of the church as well. This is what we're about. Mentoring, taking care of, and feeding the flock. Additionally, they're to provide oversight for the church. Oversight here comes from the Greek word episkopeo, which means to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, look after, and care for. Now, what does it mean to look upon? It means to know the condition of the flock. We see this in Proverbs 27.3. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Elders are to know their flocks, know the church, Know who is in need of help. Know who is in need of prayer. Know who's sick. Know who's ailing. Know who's struggling. Know who's new. Know who's mature. Know everything there is to know about the flock so that they can minister to the needs. But can I just say something? We don't know what we don't know. And I'm one of those kinds of people too, man. When I got something going on in my life, the last thing I do is pick up the phone and say, hey, man, can I get on the prayer chain? 
And that's something I need to change because you're here. We are all here for each of us. Doesn't matter what your role is. Doesn't matter what your leadership level is. And so if you're hurting or if you're dealing with something and you're struggling, call us. The numbers are on the, are, are, are on the bulletin in the back. Call us because we'd love to minister to you. Don't sit and not let it be known because the body of Christ is a living organism. We're all connected. We're a family. And if one is hurting, what does the Word of God say? We're all hurting. And so please, if I could just say that, just please help us to know the body of Christ by letting us know. To inspect is to incest, to know the strengths, to know the weaknesses, right? What are your gifts? What are your passions? What do you want to do? Our job is to funnel you into ministry. It's to get you plugged in. It's to get you aligned with your gifts. What are they? Are you functioning in them? And then to encourage you to be functioning in them. If everybody in the church knew their spiritual gift and, and developed that spiritual gift and matured in that spiritual gift for the purpose of ministry, can you imagine what the body of Christ could accomplish? If you're holding back a gift that God has given you, somebody in the church needs it. You're not holding it from the elders. You're holding it from somebody who needs it. They need to hear your experiences. They need to hear what you went through in trials and tribulations. They need to hear your encouragement. They need you. To oversee is to lead the church effectively. And if necessary, as I stated before, provide correction. To look after means to care and minister to the needs of the flock. To have a heart for the people. So when we look at the word oversight, we see depth of responsibilities there. I think, it's not, I think that's why it's a calling. Because if you enter into it in the flesh, you'll burn out. And how are we to exercise this oversight? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, this is interesting, especially when you look at the Scripture in Timothy where it says, if a man desires to be an overseer, he desires a good work. And then we read in this Scripture about compulsion. It seems kind of disconnected. What Peter is saying here is no one should ever be forced to be an elder or a pastor by someone else or by necessity because doing so is to treat the position as nothing more than a secular appointment. I know a church, a small church in a small community. The pastor was called out of that church. And that one of the elders in that church says, well, I guess I'll do it. Admirable. Gap ministry, we've seen it. We practice it here. We lose somebody really qualified, very gifted. We have to step in, fill the gap until another one comes. That's not how you do approach ministry. I guess I'll do it. Like I said, I'm not judging him. Kudos for him stepping up, but are you qualified to do that? Because if you're not, you're putting yourself and the church in a very difficult situation that you may not see. No one should ever be forced to be an elder because there's a vacancy. No one should ever be forced to be an elder because they're popular and the church wants them. 
Because there's character to think about, qualifications to think about. You know, early in the church of Corinth, they didn't establish elders. And the reason why is they didn't have qualified men to do it. They waited. There's a pastor that I listen to. I really enjoy his preaching. He was uh, in England for seven years. That's how long it took to appoint their first elder. Seven years. A vacancy is no call to appoint an elder earlier than they need to be called. It's better to go without than to deal with the difficulties of putting someone not qualified in that position. Additionally, we're not to be in it for shameful gain. Now, initially, when I looked at this verse, I was like, shameful gain? I, I could think of a lot of occupations out there that make a lot more money than a pastor, right? What Peter is talking about is what is their motivation for ministry? Is it to make money? You know, if you go back to the 19th century and early 20th century, all the Ivy League schools were seminaries. Yale, Harvard, Brown. People went into the ministry because it was a, an extremely respectable position within the community. It was one of honor. It was one of prestige. And some were actually quite lucrative. But Peter's saying the motivation of a person that wants to be an elder or a pastor specifically should never be based upon money and a call whether to take or not to take it should be based upon a financial decision. It should be based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit. They're not to be domineering. As leaders of the church and the church itself, we are to remember that the church is the Lord's first and foremost. You are an under-shepherd. Therefore, as under-shepherds, we are entrusted with God's people. Because we are entrusted with God's people, we are not to lord over them. We're not to master them. As elders in the church, our responsibilities, and to the greater extent, the pastor's responsibilities, is to bring out that which the Holy Spirit put in you. The working out of your salvation through fear and trembling. To bring that gift, to mature that gift, and then to plug that gift in to the church. It's not to be domineering. It's not to be controlling. It's not to be mastering. Always correcting, never uplifting. Always dictating, never empowering. Always ruling, never, never any freedom of movement. That's not what we're called to do. And I've seen elder positions act more in a secular manner than they are in what Peter is describing for us to be like here. They take on a very secular management role. Now, there's a lot of, lot of good management principles that we can learn from the world and to bring into the church in its proper context that doesn't distract from what Peter and Paul and what the New Testament Scriptures tell us to do. We're to lead by example as the Lord leads. In fact, one pastor said this, a true shepherd leads the way. He doesn't merely point the way. A little behind on my slides, I apologize. In fact, I really like what uh, Spurgeon said. For those who don't know, he's an old theologian out of England. 
The model of godliness exhibited by a Christian leader challenges others to follow Christ through the testimony of the leader's life. You are to be a reflection. You don't lead to build your own little church. It's not a popularity contest. The church should always look at their elders, and the elders are always supposed to be pointing to Christ. And we're to live an exemplary life of that. And so this is how we are to lead. Verses 2 and 3. And if we do that well, then we see verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. For those who have been appointed and called to be elders within the church, there is two things. There's a judgment and a reward. The judgment will be before Christ. It's called the being the seat of Christ, where elders in ministry will be fully evaluated as to the integrity of their ministry, the sincerity of their ministry, and to the effectiveness of this ministry in relationship to God's Word, not by human standards of numbers and size. Remember what James wrote concerning teachers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is a sobering verse. And this is why I never preach or teach without being fully prepared. You know, Mike said something on Wednesday. It was kind of funny in his context. He was speaking to a pastor friend of his, and he, and he joked with him, and he says, you know, I don't know why it's so hard to prepare a message every Sunday because the Lord gives you one. Well, he doesn't mail it. <laughs> it's not in an email. Tim, preach this. Okay, okay, you got five points there, Lord. It's going to be a long one. No. He leads you in it. And I have people tell me that you could write a sermon in just a few minutes. It's just a speech. No, it's not. On average, I spend two to three hours a night, most of Saturday, preparing my message. Why? Because you may not hear everything that I study, but it's to prepare my mind, to prepare my spirit. And if you have questions to come up, and you say, hey, Tim, I didn't understand what you said there. Well, I, I borrowed that statement from another pastor. I don't know what he meant. It's discerning the word of God as to what the body of Christ needs to hear. That's why it takes time. It takes prayer. It takes study. It takes an understanding. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. It is an art and a science. But it's never to be ever approached with, I'll just slap something together. I know how much time Ron spends preparing for his Sunday school lessons. I know how much time I spend preparing for a Sunday school lesson. Leaders are never to wing it. They're to be prepared thoroughly through prayer, study, preparation. And for those who are diligent and seriously apply integrity to their ministry, they will receive a special reward. Yes, they will receive a judgment, but they will also receive an award, a crown of glory. And crown in the, in the, in the New Testament indicates that of achievement. And those who have been, either been called or placed in those positions will receive a crown of achievement. 
And once again, Peter here is encouraging his readers to focus on what is coming, to be diligent while we're here, no matter the circumstances that we face. He's continuously pointing us to the return of Christ. And as elders, as we do well, and teachers, as they do well, and they receive the crown, he continuously points us to the direction of Christ's return. And are you about the Lord's business? That's just not for the elders. That's for the body of Christ. Are you about the Lord's business? Are you growing in maturity in the Lord? Are you studying your word? Are you praying, developing a close and personal relationship with Christ? Are you relying on the Holy Spirit to lead your life? Are you putting Him first in all of your priorities, all of your planning, all of your activities? Does He come first in your world? Or is He an afterthought, a part of your life, a segment I give just a little bit of attention to? We're all called to minister, by the way. We're all called by our gifting to serve the Lord. And every day when we wake up, Lord, are you coming today? If so, I want to be about your business. That's what Peter is pointing the elders to. He's reminding them of their responsibilities. He's telling them in times of suffering, people are going to rely on you. They're going to look to you. They're going to look for an example on how to get through this difficult time in their life. Are you going to lead them? Are you going to be an example? Are you going to be there for them? It's a great responsibility and one we take seriously. This is what Peter's talking about. This is why he injected elders within the midst of a letter that talks about living a holy life in a hostile world in the midst of suffering because churches need sound leaders to lead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And even though, Father, the admonishment and encouragement was specifically to elders this morning, it's good for the body to understand what is, what is the requirements for a person to be an elder in their body. What are the qualifications? What are the responsibilities? And how are they supposed to execute those? Well, Father, I pray that your word has revealed that this morning. I pray that you've used me to communicate it. But, Father, we all have a responsibility we all have a responsibility to walk in the integrity of the ministry that you have given us. I pray, Father God, every day that we're walking in it so that, Father, when you do come, whether it be through the clouds of glory or whether you call us home individually, we would receive that crown, that glorifying achievement that we then just present to you as a gift. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that in each of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand.